everyone and welcome to the last episode of ask shane anything for 2021 this show well it's kind of a show it's really a podcast when it comes down to it if you want to participate in it you need to pledge just seven dollars or more per month at patreon.com sifted everyone gets to watch the archive but if you want to be a part of the crew here you got to pledge at that amount it is the last episode of 2021 we're all rolling into the holidays so i'm expecting a fun episode of ask shane anything let's get straight to it first up we have our voice voiceover guy, Mike's Q. You may not know, but he's the man behind Game Pass or Fail and a bunch of other stuff that we do. He is our official voiceover guy. What's up, Mike? Are you ready for the holidays? Um, pretty close. Like this, as I talked to you about the making of that gift, that's generally the biggest like, ah, because I got to get it done by a certain date. And then after that, everything is a lot more chill. But are you staying in Lancaster but, for the holidays once they get here? Yeah. Yeah. Because, your... um, Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just because um, my family and my wife's family are Lancaster and Harrisburg. So mm-hmm. there's there's nowhere to really go further than half an hour away. Well, Harrisburg, you know, that's about 13 miles north of Carlisle, where I go for the holidays. So if you yep. end up in Harrisburg at any point during the break, make sure you let me know. I'm more than willing to drive. I mean, to me, uh, a 20 minute mm-hmm. drive is nothing after living in L.A. Oh, no, no, I'd love I'd love to grab a beer. And I'm like, it's easy almost any day during the holidays would be would be anything but december 26th because to me that is the holy of holies because anything that isn't done by the 25th can wait till the 27th and you can just chill on the 26th so well, 26th is the holy day a lot of people on the 26th have to put together all the toys for their kids that they bought them yeah. <laughs> what's your question for me uh, my question was because i was thinking about this because my um my grandfather passed away. It was a several years ago now, but he passed away in January. And so Sorry I remember a last, uh, I remember a last Christmas with him like a couple of years ago. And it was kind of at that time I realized, Oh my gosh, it was my grandfather. who was actually the main reason I got into video games. He, he really? was my influence because my grandfather was an engineer at RCA. And so he helped them. Um, he's on the patent for the color picture tube. Wow. For RCA. And I have a brass I- imprint of that patent on my wall. Wow. And so wait, so wait, wait let's stop up. a minute here. Is your okay. family like filthy rich from that? No, no, not no. like, cause, cause he, he worked for RCA. Like, so oh, he, so he, they he actually w- have the patent, but he's the one yeah, who developed so, it. Uh. Yeah. So he's like one of, he was like one of the seven, names on the patent but it's owned by rca gotcha. so yeah it's, it's not like oh we're rolling in in amish gold <laughs> um no he was very well to do to the point where they asked him to retire at like the age of 50 or 52 or something like that wow so my entire life my grandfather was retired like and anyway so i grew up with him having a commodore 64 computer and like and he always had at least up until Windows 98, he always had like the latest computer. And so he taught me how to play um, like a, like, I don't know, movie monsters and Pac-Man and the original Donkey Kong and stuff on the Commodore 64, my grandfather. And then he was the <laughs> one who, his computer is the one we'd play Wolfenstein and Commander Keen and stuff like that on. And so after the fact, I realized, wow, my grandfather is what who's who got me into video games so my question was 
retrospect or at the time, who is your most, uh, I guess, unique influence on your, on your, uh, playing video games and stuff? Because I know a lot of like people got into like, Oh, I saw arcades thought they were cool. But yeah. is there someone who influenced you that you didn't expect to influence you in video games? It's interesting that you bring this up because for me, my grandfathers are two completely different tales. So as far as be- getting interested in video games, that happened to me all on its own. I was at a skating mm-hmm. rink and I saw Space Invaders and it blew my mind. I had no money. My dad just dropped me off there and gave me enough money to like rent my skates or whatever. But there were like teenagers there playing Space Invaders and I did not roller skate. The whole night I stood there and watched these older kids play Space Invaders all night. And that's what sparked my interest in it. And then slowly arcades started rolling out. And I know know a lot of people who are young may not understand how big arcade culture was back then. Like I was living in a town of about 2000 people, a little town called Philippi, West Virginia at the time. And it was just basically a town that was completely propped up by a coal mine. There was a coal mine right outside of town. And anyone who lived in the town who was doing okay worked at the coal mine, my dad included. And in that little 2000 person town, there was an arcade. And that arcade had probably 50, 60 cabinets in it. So arcades back in the day, they weren't just this thing that you saw at malls or whatever. It was everywhere. And once the arcade launched in my town, like I literally would just spend all day, every day in there. The people who were good at the games in there were my heroes. Like there was this one kid named Shane Cochran who was the best Tempest player. And everybody in town knew he was the best Tempest player. And you go in there, his name would be up there. No one could come close to him. And it was that way for all like the big games in the arcade. And I don't think Mm-hmm. People truly understand. Like, I think people watch stuff like Stranger Things or whatever. And they're like, oh, that's what the 80s was like. It was even better than that. Like, even or the last little... Starfighter or other right. things like that. Yeah, it was even better than that. Like, even in my little dinky town, we had a huge arcade. So that's what really sparked my interest in it. But when I once I got interested in it, it was a struggle with certain people in my family. So, for example, my grandpa Satterfield, he fought in World War II. He I rarely remember ever seeing him laugh. Like he would watch Looney Tunes on Saturday and he would laugh at that. But otherwise, he was just very stoic and he was very religious. Like he was a fundamental Christian. Um, And he took my sister and I to a mall one time. And while he and my grandmother went out, went around shopping, they gave each of us five dollars. And my sister went and bought like jewelry or like lip gloss or some crap. I took my five dollars into the arcade and I spent it all. I had never had that much money in an arcade. I was like losing my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I have $5 and quarters. I went in there. I spent it all in like two hours or whatever. And our grandparents had started like looking for us and they couldn't find us. And we walked out of the arcade after I spent all my money and they saw us and they came running up and they're like, oh my gosh, we were so worried. We thought you'd been kidnapped or whatever. And once they got over the initial shock, they're like, well, what did you guys do with your money? And my sister pulls out her bracelets and her lip gloss or whatever And they're like, oh, good. And they're like, what did you do with your money? And I just like looked at the arcade and I spent, I'm like, I spent it in there. And my grandfather lost his mind. He goes, you spent my money in there. And I was like, yeah, because I'm a kid. Like everyone goes to arcades. And he grabbed me by the hair and dragged me out of the mall and said, you will never spend another penny of my money on something like that again. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Maybe video games aren't so good. 
on the flip side on, of that, on a, on a temporal experience. It, 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 I was young, yeah. you know, and it, it yeah. definitely imprinted on me. And so then on the flip side of things, and I ignored him, I ended up getting like into video games, got my first like ski. Obviously. Song, <laughs> right. And got my first console that Christmas and then ended up getting the Atari 2600 and like the rest is history. But my grandfather on my mom's side was the exact opposite. He, he would love like technology and all the advancements. And he, just like you, got a computer when they were brand new, like in like 1980. What, when were the K cars, the big thing? Was that like 80? Oh, Five yeah, that, or something like that. Yeah, the K cars were like 82 through 86 or something like yeah. that, or whatever, right around he, that area. Right in that era, he got a PC and it had like, he was a big golfer and it had this golf game on it that blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, it looks like we're there. And it doesn't. Like now I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, it looks terrible. But he got a golf game. And then from there, he just started buying like every game. But he was like very picky mm-hmm. about his PC. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't play it by myself. He had to be there because. Back then, buying a computer for your home was a huge investment. And he was a huge, he was like a big wig at PPG, which is like a glass manufacturing company. And uh, Mm -hmm. so he was, he was basically rich. And so he could afford like anything. And so he bought this crazy expensive PC, but I could only play it while he was there. And I would get really nervous, like while he was there. So I didn't get to enjoy it to the fullest, but he made me feel like it was okay to be into the stuff that I was into. I was like, okay, here's an adult who likes games just like I do. And so if my other grandfather had passed away at that point, I only had the cooler grandfather still alive. And so he made me feel okay about loving video games. Um, and I think that helped. And I think certainly as I got older and I was fighting against the stigma of only kids play games because I had to fight that. Like now nobody thinks about that. Everyone plays video games. But when I was a kid, it literally was like only kids play video games. And if you're an adult that plays them, there's something wrong with you. So I was fighting through this through my like early teen years, mid teen years. I had my grandpa there to tell me it's going to be okay. Like there are people like me out there who are older than you, way older than you who still love games. Um, And I think that aesthetic is kind of carried through my entire life. And then finally the PlayStation launches the PlayStation one and you start seeing more adults playing games. And then I was like, Oh gosh, thank you. Like I felt vindicated finally for a, pretty much my entire life's activities. So it's, um, it's interesting how family can affect what you do and who you ultimately become. And I'm just very thankful that I had a cool grandfather to kind of shepherd me in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. My, it was my older cousins who they had a, they had a Nintendo, they had a PlayStation one um, and they had a couple of very select games. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and I got in so much trouble with them at one point because <laughs> they had a, they had a, um, uh, a Nintendo and they were in this. They were playing between themselves like this big uh, Tecmo baseball tournament uh-huh. or Tecmo Super Bowl or whatever. And I saw that there was something wedged. They had a, a skull can oh. wedged into the Nintendo. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what the heck is this doing here? So they're in the middle of playing, and I reach and grab it and pull it. And the reason it was wedged in there is because like the latch that kept the Spring cartridge had down died. Yeah, had died. And <laughs> so that was the only the thing. Cartridge keeping. In. So I pull it and then the cartridge boom, flips yep. up and they like, oh, <laughs> and then they like wring my neck because uh-huh. I just like crashed their game. Like that they They're were like, the we never should have invited him. <laughs> Why? Like too young. Get out of here. And yeah. Then, and then um, like every like the same type of event we're doing the secret pal. Uh, there was a PlayStation one that was sitting up in the in the back room for i don't know for five or seven years and the only, there was three games there was monopoly there was a uh, jet moto 2 
and there was that Bruce Willis uh, action uh, shooter game Apocalypse. Uh-huh. And so we could, it was only one of those three. So we end up playing Jet Moto uh, all this time and we got really, really good at it. And we're like, oh, this game's so cool. I played a lot um, of Jet Moto. It was a big game back yeah. then. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Well, thank you. That's a great question. And good for the holidays, too, because it brings a family into it and all that stuff. Jeff, I know you have to leave really soon. So how about we get the next question from you? Thanks for letting me cut in line, Shane. No, thank you you for showing up, man. I appreciate it a lot, man. It's good to Uh, be able to spend some time with you guys before we all kind of head off for the holidays. um, I have kind of three questions. Um, Okay, I may have to write these down. Well, the first two are related. It's it's about the um, Pactor uh, Pactor episode where he talks about Bobby Kotick. I'm curious about, um, like, what was your discussion like with Pactor before that episode filmed? And did he shift your perspective at all? Um, and then my, my other question is like, can you not afford like sweatshirts? What's going on with your elbows? <laughs> elbows. How did you even see that? <laughs> I can see your elbows. It's all tattered. It's like, you just got run over by a train or something. How did like you that. see that? How did you see my elbows? You, you lifted them up earlier. Oh, oh yeah. So this is what I call real nerd fashion. You know, you go to like hot topic or whatever. And there's like all this, these t-shirts, these sexy t-shirts for girls that say like nerd girl or whatever. And like all these video game t-shirts, that's fake nerd, nerd fashion. Here's real nerd fashion. And I have holes in my sweatshirt from having my elbows on the computer chair. I have worn through this sweatshirt. I, ha- I have two other sweatshirts that I have worn through the elbows working on sifted in this chair. So Anytime tell someone someone says, oh, nerd fashion, be like, I know what nerd fashion is. Just talk to my boy, Shane. That's I don't funny. know if you need to be prideful for that. <laughs> I, just, I just don't care, honestly. Like I was talking like before we started recording this, that like I just don't care about like material crap anymore. Like as long as I have the stuff that I need to like do my job and I have like consoles and a TV, I'm good. Like I have more clothes. If I started wearing like a different piece of clothing every day, I probably wouldn't wear something again for like three years. Like I have that many t-shirts, that many sweatshirts, because I've been alive for so dang long and collecting it all. So like I have nice stuff in the closet. I choose to wear this. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to your other question about Pactor. That's a really, really good question because we did have a conversation before we recorded those episodes about Bobby Kotick. Um, a lot of times when he kind of knows that there might be a question about something in a set of shows. When I first get there and I'm kind of setting up all the equipment and everything to record, he'll ask me about it to try to, cause he's like, he's on Twitter and stuff, but he doesn't really understand like what otaku think about a lot of stuff. Like he doesn't really understand like what the prevailing opinion is on a lot of things. And so he'll ask me when I get there, like, and he assumed he's like, you know, there's probably gonna be a question about Bobby Kotick. And so he's like, what are people thinking and saying about Bobby Kotick? And I was like, I just told him, I'm like, you know, people think he should be fired and that, you know, he let it go on for too long and he should have been more proactive. And I just gave him like the, the crib notes version of what the average quote unquote gamer feels about the situation. And then he told me, he's like, well, I'm going to have a controversial opinion about that. And I was like, I thought you might, because in the past you have backed up Bobby Kotick. And I was a little surprised you did it back then. And I'm a little more surprised that you're about to do it now. And he's like, well, you know, I agree with a lot of the things that people are complaining about. He's like, but I look at things from a business perspective and what's best for Activision. And he's like, so that's the approach that I take when I answer questions on this show. And that's the approach that 
I'm going to take this time. And I was like, okay. I really didn't know like what he was going to say at that point or how he was going to back it up. I just knew that he was probably going to lean in Bobby's direction. So it was like the third or fourth question, I think, in that batch of recordings that we did. And uh, we got to it and he answered the question and you guys have all seen his his response to it. Um, And as soon as it was over, he's like, "Okay, stop the tape. And so I stopped the camera and he's like, what do you think about that? And he's like, how are people going to receive that? And I was like, well, I'll be honest with you, it's going against the grain and you're going to get some pushback on it and some people are going to complain about it. But I will say this, I feel like you verbalized it in about as soft a way as you could have. (laughs) I'm like, I mean, I'll just tell you right now, he even says it in the show that I disagree with him. He says like, shame will tell you that he should be fired or whatever, because we had had that conversation prior where I told him that. Um, And so he... I told him that like, I thought he handled it about as good as he could, but there was still going to be pushback and people were still going to disagree with him. And he's like, that's fine. Like, I, I appreciate that. And I want people to feel like they can disagree with me. Um, I don't want them to think that whatever I say is just my word is bond. Um, He's like, I just hope that they can appreciate that. I come at things from a different angle. And I'm like, well, I told, I'm like, look, people like your show because it is a different angle. You're the only, literally the only financial analyst that does a regular gaming show. So if people don't realize by now that you look at things from a very, from a, like a numbers perspective, then what are they watching? Like, what have they been doing? Um, so ultimately you guys have seen the episode. I think probably everyone on this call disagrees with his, his opinion on Bobby Kotick after it was over. so you asked, like, did it change my mind at all? No, it didn't at all. Uh, because I don't care about the financial part of it. I care about it, you know, enough so that Pactor Factor is a good show that people want to watch. I care more about the cultural angle, the human angle of it. And to me, there's no excusing what happened at Activision Blizzard. And I think about the people who worked there instead of what Activision Blizzard stockholders are thinking and what they're going to do. And that's his bottom line. He's like, what's going to happen to the stock? Is the stock going to go up or is the stock going to go down? And that's really what he cares about. So I understand why he often has different perspectives from me on a lot of different topics. And he probably you guys feel the same way sometimes. It does make it interesting because I don't want to just shut out information that goes against what I already believe. I feel like it's good to be exposed to different ideas and different perspectives on things. Will it change my perspective? Sometimes, maybe a little, sometimes not at all. Um, Very rarely does it completely change my position on something, but it's good to have it because it makes you question your own position. And this isn't just about games. This is just about life in general. Um, I like to hear alternative views on things because even though I may ultimately reject their argument and say that's a bunch of BS, it still will make me think about my position in a different way, provided the person is moderately intelligent anyway. So, you know, it's that episode has not gone up yet on YouTube, and I'm a little nervous about when it does. I hope that the people there will look at it kind of the way that I do because they've been watching the show for a long time. Uh, but I do have a feeling we're going to have to sort through a lot of the comments on YouTube of people that are being like, you're out of touch. You know what you're talking about. I mean, we get that with him all the time anyway. Um, so, you know, anytime somebody is over like 30 years old, half of YouTube is going to think they're out of touch. So, <laughs> so Pactor's probably going to get laid into pretty good once that episode goes up on YouTube. But he's a big boy. He's got thick skin. He can handle it. Um, but to answer your question, it didn't change my perspective on things at all. I wouldn't say it emboldened my perspective either. 
but I'm glad that I listened to what he had to say because it was a different angle on things. I just don't put as much importance in, in uh, what Activision Blizzard shareholders think more than what is how, how something is affecting the people that are working there, the employees uh, that are under kind of this, this awful regime that had been there for so long. So um, different strokes for different folks, but I do appreciate different perspectives almost always. It's interesting how he didn't take the angle of consideration with because you the culture and the business side are one like right now there are multiple strikes now happening within its own organization which will affect affected financially the business, affect them financially and the business side because there's even talks of trying to halt all development on that end i don't know if they'll be successful yep. but the fact that there's talks about it is even going to cause potentially a financial issue to them so i'm surprised he didn't consider that. that up or even consider it as what is going to affect it because the stock price keeps dropping every single day. And that's, yep. and it's every day something new comes out, whether it's the firing of people from Raven studios, when they were making promises that they were going to be able to give them raises and they made mm-hmm. them relocate for this job and then said, well, screw you. We're just not going to pay you and happy holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Um, it, it, do- it doesn't seem like he is able to take it and, flip it out. See the whole scope of how the social side of it could affect the business side. Right. And the fact that he can't even flip the PR right now because the PR is all negative. He has no positive that's coming out of that business right now that it could dramatically affect the bottom line. I'm surprised he didn't consider it. First of all, Mitch, welcome to Ask Shane Anything. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) It's good to see you. And it's good Good for everybody to see you you guys. This is Mitch. Some of you guys probably remember, remember him from Game Face. He worked on the show for quite a while. He worked on Sifted HQ with me for quite a while. How how are you doing, Mitch? Here in LA, are you doing good? I'm doing kind of stagnant. I'm yeah. I'm still trying to look around to try to find the the, the next thing or something. So meanwhile, uh, you have a job is paying your rent and all that. Exactly. Kind of I'm able to stay afloat, but I'm just always super busy, which doesn't help because or else I would be totally coming back and working with you again. Yeah. Um, actually, ironically, I tried just for kicks. Uh, applied for um, Attack of the Show. Oh, really? Yeah. Unfortunately, they said no, but <laughs> it's still fun to Did throw Did you send out my there. letter of recommendation? I sent your letter, and then I also threw you and Matt's name out there in my cover letter just to be like, wow. hey, I may or may not have worked with these two people. And well, did they give you a call at least? Were you a part of the process? Nah. My guess is they had thousands of applications. Oh, I would not be shocked by that. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so to kind of go back to what you're saying, Mitch, about the social angle affecting the business side. This reminds me of some people who say, I'm, I'm socially liberal, but fiscally conservative. Like people who try to straddle both sides of the fence. And my first comment Shane, to people Shane, like that. We, yes. call the, we call those Mennonites. <laughs> really? Mennonites are socially no, liberal? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, here, no here's, uh, it's, it's um, cause I've run into this in my line of business. Um, no, actually, actually, no, it, it is the exact opposite. But what I was saying is that I've run into people who, for um, religious and cultural reasons, don't think Social Security is, um, you know, a good, a good thing to participate in until the last 10 years of their life. <laughs> and, and then they have a change of heart. Yeah, and they're then, like, I have to retire and I'm going to be broke. <laughs> yeah, run, run into that. But um, all, all I was going to say previously is that, is that this is the first time in my knowledge that the social side of it has gotten big enough to affect the business side in such a major way. Cause like, 
because there's there's been plenty of other things like i mean you for different subjects you and matt all the time say like yeah but the main people who buy this game don't listen to the show aren't going to read that article like didn't see like that thing and so they're going to still laugh all the way to the bank because there's nothing like because even in our industry oh there's a huge stink but now that it's crossed over to now it's in regular legal it's in regular papers it's in kind of like the way how you know e3 once a year would like get the name of a certain type of video game in the papers that would yep. never print anything about it yeah um so now the social side is unavoidable in the business side like you have created such yeah. a there's a powerful, it's, it's powerfully all bleeding together um, now thing. Yeah. Well, the, well, the last you... one I was going to throw in there is that um, I was surprised to see this is even King is owned by Activision. Yes, but it's not mentioned as a subsidiary company of Activision in any of the news articles. You would have to do deep research to know King is connected to Activision Blizzard. And that has taken a, a drop in its stock. Yeah. So, like the fact that there is even that kind of connection is, whoa, it's like touching the bottom line in so many aspects that it would be scary. Well, here's the mm-hmm. thing, though, about saying that you're conservative in one one way and liberal in another is that if you're if you're conservative financially, that means you're not going to put the money and the resources into the liberal causes, which means you're actually not socially liberal at all. It's all just lip service because ultimately you want to say you're that way for whatever reason. I'm not going to try to guess why people would say that, but you want people to believe that you are that way, but you're unwilling to put the resources behind it to make those ideals come to fruition. Um, and I think or, it's kind of the same or, deal with business. It's yeah. like, look, if, if Bobby Kotick and Activision were really serious about treating their employees well and making women feel like they were equals in the workplace and other marginalized people feeling that way, then you put the resources to it. You start a department at your company for inclusion or whatever. They did none of that. So again, back to my analogy, it was all lip service. They were just saying that. So the press would be like, oh, they say they're doing something. And then they didn't do anything until this finally happened and all the real news finally came out. So it's it's one of those ideals or principles that applies across more than just video games. It's happening all over the place. People want to have it both ways without committing the resources required to have it one of the ways. So it's it's a shame, but you know, Kodak lives in Pactor's world. He's a finance guy. He's not a gamer. He didn't come up. He didn't start working on like Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and was like a programmer who became like the lead programmer at the studio and then worked his way up. And now he's the CEO. Like none of that happened. He got his MBA at business school, got a job somewhere, kept climbing the ladder, eventually got his job at Activision. And now he's making more money than I could even fathom every year. So it's um, but again, Pactor lives in that world, and so I understand why he sees thing, sees things through that lens instead of the lens that I see things through. Um, and I'm glad there are alternative voices out there. But to go again, to go back to uh to Jeff's question, I completely disagree with his assertion about Bobby Kotick, as he said in the episode. <laughs> well, AJ the Legend, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, Happy man, holidays! I love, I love the Christmas tree behind you and the, the Christmas sweater. <laughs> my, my my favorite time of the year <laughs> dude stand up so we can see that sweater oh that is awesome man see that's an ugly christmas sweater i'd be happy to wear all of us used to go our friend we talk about on the show all the time jeremy hoffman yeah. who works at right. epic yeah he used to work with me at game trailers and work with matt and i at g4 every year here in la he would have an ugly sweater party 
And it was like the highlight of the holiday season. Everyone from the industry would show up and everyone would try to out. And this was before it became like a thing. Like right. now everyone has ugly sweater parties. Back yeah. then he was like the only person I knew who had them. So everyone <laughs> would bring like the best dish that they could make. And they'd try to outdo each other with the ugly sweaters. Um, and there were some good sweaters at that too, because they were all nerds like us. So all gamers. Was that and- before or after Jeremy Hoffman uh, was trying to make homemade cheeses? That was during. <laughs> so that's how they were born, though. He made the first time he made his homemade Cheez-Its was for that party. Everybody went gotcha. to that party and were like, oh, my gosh, these are amazing. And that set him off. I'm, I'm surprised you know about that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's what set him off on the path of like making his own Cheez-Its that people flip and love. So, yeah, it I've, been hanging, I've been hanging around digitally for a decade and a half or, or more, almost actually almost two decades now. I'm just surprised like, you know about his Cheez-Its. Like, it's not yeah. something that Matt and I have ever talked about on a show or anything. So you're definitely <laughs> dialed in. AJ, what's your question with your awesome sweater? Okay, well, Shane, I have two actually, but the first okay. one is, I'm assuming you guys are going to talk about this on Game Face, the uh, Star Wars Eclipse announcement. This is more for Matt because I know the disdain for Quantic Dream. (laughs) And I'm wondering, based off the trailer that was shown, what are initial thoughts? And then uh, the second is I wonder if you guys ever think there will be another successful console not named Sony or Microsoft. Oh, two good questions. Okay, let's tackle Star Wars Eclipse first. Um, I do not hate Quantic Dream as much as Matt does. I mean, we've probably established that on Game Face a couple of different times. I'm also not a fan of the studio in general, and it's not really I'm not a fan of its games. I'm not a fan of the head of the studio. Like, I feel like he's abrasive and he I feel like he wants to be an outsider in the industry and he tries to manifest it. I don't feel like he really is or would be. I feel like he tries to do that. I feel like he wants to be like an industry rebel and to be known as like this guy who goes against the grain and doesn't accept the status quo. Um, and But really for me, for my purposes, I try to keep the personal part of games out of it and just think about the game itself. And I enjoyed Heavy Rain. I enjoyed Detroit Become Human for the most part, but they're not. it's not my favorite genre. Like I am a gameplay first guy. So I really resonate with interactivity and how it feels to play a game, what the controller feels like in my hands while I'm playing a game. And their games are really kind of the opposite of that. So it's kind of an I enjoyed both of... those games for the memes. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, there's exactly. a lot of really good memes that <laughs> there came were out of those. Ones. You're right. Yeah. So I, I, but again, I try to draw the line between things and just evaluate games the way I see them. And I've been playing adventure games my entire life. They were one of the biggest genres when I first got into gaming. I was like totally hooked on games like Myst and things like that in the early days. Um, so I do have some of an appreciation for them. Um, as far as Star Wars Eclipse is concerned, I am encouraged, put it that way. Look, I know his studio can do a good job with technology. Their games always look great. Um, I know the voice acting is going to be good. I'm not 100% convinced that the story is going to be great because a lot of their games have huge plot holes in them. Um, some that are so big that they've almost made me stop playing their games at times. So that does concern me a little bit. But I also believe that there's going to be somebody keeping a very close eye on that part of the game. Someone from Disney or whatever is going to be watching that stuff and working with them on the game. So while I am worried if they were just left to their own devices, it could be a complete disaster. I know that Disney won't let that happen. 
And the other thing I would say, too, is that we don't get games like that for in set in the Star Wars universe. Like we don't really get narrative driven games. That, that's probably for a reason, because whoever owns the Star Wars IP is like, wait a minute. Like we don't want some Yahoo working on our canon or me- messing things up or whatever. Um, and so now that they have decided to just give the license to anyone, it seems <laughs> like their exclusive deal with EA is over now. Um, and if they're giving something to Quantic Dream, they're just they're just let, taking the reins off. So I think they wouldn't do that unless they had fails, fail safes in place. Somebody there who is working with them on the game to make sure that they don't go out of bounds. So I'm actually really encouraged by it. Like I'm excited to play a Star Wars game that's in a different genre from it's not a space shooter. It's not an action adventure. It's not a first person shooter. That's what you expect from Star Wars video games. So I'm excited to play something different in the Star Wars universe. And I'm, I feel safe that Disney will make sure they don't screw up the, the story and the writing. And I know they can handle the other parts as far as like the technology and the voice acting and creating a great presentation. So I'm actually pretty excited about it. What about you? Are you? Yeah. You're a huge Star Wars fan. Oh, I am. And I'm, and I was going to say, I think the game is going to have the benefit of like us not knowing as much, like it's not Luke Skywalker. It's not Boba Fett. It's none of the things that star Wars fans are accustomed to. It's kind of new with the storytelling. So I think the game is going to benefit from that. Therefore, I think it is going to surprise some people like myself. So yeah, I'm excited as well. So good. What was your second question? I totally forgot. Oh, it's okay. I was wondering if you think there will be another successful platform other than Sony or Microsoft in our lifetime. Okay. I know me and you are the same age bracket. I'm 48. And so we're not spring chickens anymore. But that are you asking if in our lifetimes, if in our lifetime, will we see another? Yeah. uh, I'm the spring chicken. Let's be honest. (laughs) That's true. That's a really great question. But I think the important part here is what do you consider a platform in the middle aged game? So um, is a platform to you just a, a hunk of plastic with transistors and stuff inside it? Or I think, is it, I think it's evolved to be honest. It used to be that just a hunk of plastic, but now it could be, it could be something that's an online service. It could so you're be okay a no- with calling like stadia a platform then. I am. I am okay. because I think it's an evolved platform, to be honest. Okay. Then, yes, I do think that there will be other platforms that are successful. I don't know if it's going to be Stadia. That all depends on if Google sticks it out or bails and it, its track record isn't great. Usually, if its products aren't doing really well in the first couple of years, it bails on them. Um, but it's going to be some, some, someone else will figure it out and get it right. So, I do think that eventually, and I know Pactor's been beating this drum for a long time about the no console future and all that. I don't think it's as eminent as he does, but I do think it's eventually going to get there. Like, for example, they just finally launched the app for Stadia on my TV. So my LG OLED now has the Stadia app on it. And all I have to do to play games is plug a controller into the USB port on the TV and I can start playing Stadia. Um, So I'm really really sad that they kind of messed it up or, or something because I was part of the beta when they when they were testing out um assassin's creed odyssey mm-hmm. and i played 55 hours of that game mm-hmm. over stadia yeah and it's not as bad like, as people think i mean certain genres obviously suffer more than others yeah but um, no but to be honest when they when they stopped the beta and gave me a um like a, a code for the game so i could run it off my hardware 
I actually played it less and then eventually stopped <laughs> playing it because I couldn't because I actually a couple of times over lunch break played it at work. I mm. like on my friend's TV, just his media PC, which isn't a super gaming PC, but it was attached to the big like 60 inch television yeah. downstairs. That's where I played it. Because we, when, we're going to get to a point where instead yeah. of having to haul around a piece of hardware or whatever, all you have to do is haul around a, a controller that plugs in with the USB port. Like mm. that's all I need to play some of the biggest games in the industry right now on my TV without anything else. It's just a controller that can plug into the USB port that they've made sure that it works already. That's but it. You sacrifice ownership. And that's a, big, that's a big element. Like, um, but I, I think like, a lot of people are showing that they don't care about ownership anymore. Like, mm, uh, it, de- it depends. 50% I, I, don't buy hard games anymore. But, but at least digitally, you st- this copy is on the hard drive. And if the service goes away, you won't lose the game because the game is on the hard drive. So like, well, I mean, provided like, you never have to wipe your hard drive. <laughs> true, true. That's true. But at, at least it's more of a uh, reassurance that it's there. And will it still work either? Because you got to realize that once you do download that code to whatever you download it to, there's a handshake that goes on there between the code on your local machine and the service. So when you have that, your PC sends a signal to Stadia that says, hey, there's this game here that this person wants to play. And then Stadia looks at the information it sent and says, yep, he's a subscriber. It's all good. Let him play. And if Stadia is gone, that handshake doesn't exist anymore. Some of that software may not even work. You may not be able to trigger it to make it work. So. Right, um, but that, I don't consider Stadia on that and on that um, in that grouping. I'm like, and specifically, I'm talking more of like the traditional. So like Nintendo, Microsoft, like console, Sony with, with their console because okay. it's on the console itself. Got it, got it. Okay, Luna. I, I think if there is going to be one that's going to be successful, it's probably going to be Luna because Google seems to be backing out already. And Luna can learn from Stadia's mistakes. And uh, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? We have the the most richest guy in the world. Yeah, they don't have to worry. He's willing to, money he's willing to throw money in space. <laughs> I think he's willing to throw it on a brand new. Um, and plus, uh, yeah, so he's he's more built into the household than probably Google is in, yeah. in aspects of you know Alexa. Um, I mean, they just launch so many services that you don't even know that they do. Like Amazon, and they don't web bail services. on them either. That's no. the other thing. Amazon sticks with them because it can afford to. So can Google. It's a difference in corporate culture. Yeah. I would agree with you that if there's one streaming service that has the best chance to last forever, it is Luna. Uh, more than GeForce Now, definitely more than Stadia. Um, I just think Amazon commits to his products longer unless they're video games. <laughs> but uh, Especially I would agree if they you. built it into Prime. Like if it's yeah. built into your Amazon Prime, like yeah. could you imagine? Uh, yeah. it, it would be, be huge. insane. Yep. And AJ, to Same. get back to the root of your question, like I really think probably what most, most people want to know is, you know, are there, is there going to be another successful like piece of hardware? And I think there will be. I think the next round of consoles, they're coming and I think they're going to do very well. And I think that may be the pinnacle. This is either the pinnacle or the next generation is going to be the pinnacle. And then you'll see the steady decline. So I mm. do think that in our lifetimes, we will both see another successful round of physical hardware. And I think after that, all bets are kind of off. So I think we got one more shot here, AJ. And then after that, we're going to be the old people screaming at the sky. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. AJ, uh, to be honest, I think that the next, they're the biggest chance for a different competitor in that space. And the next, like, like you're still tied to a box. You're not just tied to a service mm-hmm. is going to be whenever 
whatever iteration of VR is completely absorbable by the entire mass. Like the same people who'd play games are the same people who could use VR. Right. Because like, yes, there's the quest, but the quest is a, it's a compromise between the fidelity of a full box and mm-hmm. the portability of a phone. Like it's right, right in the middle. It's a great, it's at a great spot. But for those, for when, Basically, whenever the technology for like, all right, you got your cerebral link where it's not even using your eyes, it's just going right in through your temple and talking right to your brain of what you're seeing, like like junk like that. I think there will still be there might be a, someone other than Microsoft or Sony, not Nintendo, who is going to make that type of Apple. box, and that's yeah, like it, it very well could be Apple. It's going to be well Apple. Could, Apple's also going to be the one that yeah. makes VR go mainstream. And maybe AR too with his new glasses. And what's um, funny is because it's Apple, it's still going to be around like seven to hundred to a thousand bucks. But people are like, "Oh, that's what I'm used to paying for my phone," and they'll jump right in. Yeah, like yeah, it, it's going to be that Futurama episode of the iPhone where they you go in, they actually hammer <laughs> it into your eye. And about that episode, that's a good one. Yeah. So yeah, to go further, I do think that if there is another platform holder that comes, it's not. Microsoft, Sony, or Nintendo, I do think it's going to be Apple, and it's going to be either AR or VR. Um, they will make it mainstream, while others have tried and failed. Even Facebook has struggled to really do it. Um, Quest 2 is obviously meta. doing pretty well, meta. but yeah, the metaverse. Sorry. <laughs> the meta. <laughs> Great questions, AJ. I was going to say, AJ's question number, the first question might need a little tweaking. It should maybe be, what's Shane's thought on Jeff Keeley saying harassment is not okay, but then show a game from a studio that is under investigation right. for being harassment, <laughs> AKA quantic dream. Well, oh, oh, I would say oh, this. The, message, the, the messaging was so weird in that, like, yeah. like, like whatever you think or whatever, there was like the, the very like LGBT, like uh, gaming, like uh, promo brought to you by Facebook gaming. Like, Oh yeah. Uh, whatever, like whatever you're thinking about that, like, uh, like, I mean, there was a lot to cringe about in the Game Awards. Let's just be honest. Like, he, you know, the way he handled Activision Blizzard wasn't perfect. I think he got it right eventually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I really liked the Game Awards. And we're obviously going to talk about him here soon on the next episode of Game Face. So I don't want to spoil too much about how I feel about him. But I did think that they were really good. But there were definitely some black eyes there. It's tough because things are changing so quickly and so on the fly. And that show has been in production for like nine months. And so a lot of the stuff, man, that you work really hard on setting up and getting into the show and the show's all timed out and you've rehearsed it twice now. And then that day, some news breaks and you're, you're expected to like completely reshuffle the show. Like, if you haven't worked in production on something that big, a project that lasts nine months, it's hard to mm-hmm. really understand how difficult it is to be nimble because every little change you make to the show, it's like dominoes. It affects every department that is working on that show. Um, and it's very hard, particularly on a show like that, where they're probably operating with like the smallest possible production crew that they can. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Because you have a lot of people on those shows that are wearing multiple hats and you and something happens and everybody's like, oh, we got to make all these changes. And you have one person who's like, well, crap, man, I have to make that change in like three different things that I'm working on right now. It just becomes like almost impossible to wrangle. So I have some sympathy I, for Jeff, probably more than most, the, but 
And some of it might be contracts and it affects yep. the it affects what revenue is coming into the show. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, we can't do that because then we can't afford to pay Imagine Dragons to come out there, yeah. which I don't know why Imagine Dragons is out there I in the either. first place. Instead <laughs> of letting... this year, I was like, <laughs> well, what? I was like, uh, I was just saying it on our we did a Pixel Pints this morning um, about the Game Awards. And one of my comments was like, if you can give Imagine Dragons a moment on stage because you're trying to celebrate a 10 year anniversary for a game that never won a game award. Right. You could take the time to actually let the best RPG winner come up and say something for winning their game and stuff going off the list. Yeah. And I was, I like, was like only kind of paying attention because I was working during the show. So like they, pre- they debut a new game. Like we have to create the game page on sifted. We have to get all the thumbnails. We have to get the box art made, create the page, then tag the, tr- the new trailer to it. it like, I miss stuff. Like I, where was Sting? I didn't see Sting's performance. Did it happen? It did. Yeah, it did. I missed it, it, it completely. It was, it was the op- It was the opening of the show proper, which ah. was hard to tell the difference between the show and the, the pre-show. pre-show and the real show. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the opening of the show proper actually hosted by Jeff Keighley. So as soon as Jeff was on, right after that, um, Sting Sting came on. I'm gonna um, go back and watch the show before we do our impressions of it. Like right now, all I know is like what was debuted and what trailers for existing games were in the show. That's it. Like, I don't understand how everything was snapped together yet and all that kind of stuff. I definitely caught some writing that definitely was Kyle Bossman. I'm like, Kyle wrote that joke. 100% Kyle (laughs) He does write on the show. Yeah. Along those lines, Shane, has he ever, Jeff, that is, asked for your input on anything on the show? I'm just curious. On the Game Awards? Yes. The first two years. I wasn't like his confidant or anything. I don't want to misrepresent right, right. anything, but he would just be like, oh, this is some of the, the ideas that we're coming up with. What do you think? Because I had worked on the Spike VGAs for like six or seven years. And he and I privately during those days always expressed frustration with the show that we knew that you guys wanted to see versus the show that the Spike executives wanted to see. And that was the show that would get the casual eyeballs that would get celebrities to show up, that would focus on the celebrities instead of on the games. And so that was a big kind of point for him with the Game Awards is he wanted to find the better balance. And I would, I would argue he has found a better balance, but it seems like most people are still not happy that they want more awards, they want more developers, they want it to be more closely sewn to the gaming industry instead of the entertainment industry. And I would argue that this year it kind of went even further that other way. Like the he was lucky that Unreal Engine did that Matrix thing, uh, because I feel like he probably would have had those two on the show anyway, even if Unreal Engine hadn't done that Matrix thing. He got kind of bailed out by it. So he had like this this tenuous tissue connecting that segment to the Game Awards. Sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. And on the Spike VGAs, it rarely ever worked out that way. And I feel like he has gotten better with the Game Awards. And I think that shows in the viewership of the Game Awards. But I think there's still some work to do, too. Well, actually, this would go to my question because I you didn't watch the full award, so I'm not going to do my legit question, which is would have been what what are the three things you would change and what are the three things you would keep if you were in charge of the game awards, but you haven't gotcha. watched it all yet, so I'm not going to yeah. ask you that. But maybe do it on Game Face for me. I, okay. I'd love to hear that. Maybe in the um, Q and A at the end, ask it. I'll try. I'll try to shoot it. Um, so my question would be then, because you did the Spike VGA awards, is do you know the reason why specifically they do the the game awards so soon instead of doing it something like the Oscars after the end of the year so that you know the nominees that actually 
are here in December actually get played and then actually can be nominated? Because some of them just get left in the dust. Well, with the VGAs, the awards were way in the back of their minds, the people okay. who produced the show. So the people who produced the VGAs produced all the award shows for Spike. So they did the VGAs. They also did the Guy's Choice Awards. They also did the Scream Awards, which was like a horror movie festival award show. It was the same team that did all that. And they tried to take the template that they used for those other two award shows and just slap it onto the Game Awards. And one thing about the way they, why they did the timing of the VGAs is because it's downtime and they cared so much about celebrities being there. And I'll say this, man, like they got the celebrities at the VGAs. Like it's pretty amazing. Like people always ask me like, what celebrities have you met? And I'm like, it's easier for, for me to tell you like the ones I haven't met. And that's because of those award shows. And I was a part of the production and I was backstage and I was in the green room and I was like telling people, okay, you're going on stage in like 10 minutes. I was a part of the production. So I met all these people And the reason they got all those people is because they had it in December and there's nothing else going on. Like people are off for Christmas break. So even if they're in the middle of shooting a film or a TV show or whatever, it's on hiatus and they can come to an award show. And if you try to do that in January, production is starting to pick up again. All the shows are starting to film again. The films are picking up production. They're traveling to wherever their film is shooting. They don't want to have any part of doing an award show. And so for their purposes, wanting a lot of celebrities on the show, they had to do it in December to make sure they could actually get those celebrities to show up. So that was a big driving force. Do you think that's key? Why Keely's doing it the same? Because it's the same time frame Keely's doing from when it was the VGAs. We had a discussion about this a a couple of weeks ago about why we think he's hasn't pushed it back because, you know, all, all the publications push their game of the years until the end of the year. So why not push the game awards back so that all games can be considered for the year? Because then you don't have the Forza argument about <laughs> being like, well, it only had like technically was it they submitted their first ballots before the game ever came out, but then they had to readjust their ballot when the yeah. game came out. So some of them might have forgotten and then not didn't get it nominated for what it should have, or yeah. they just assumed and nominated it before they even played it. Well, a lot of it goes back to what I was saying before about how it's like a nine or 10 month project. So um, you're in that zone. So Keely, he leaves Spike and MTV and the VGA stop, but his relationships haven't stopped. So he did a lot of the legwork for the VGAs. That was really his like big project that he worked on all year, that and E3, when he was working with us at MTV and game trailers. And so he just fell right back into that pattern. He's like, okay, I need to start having conversations with this guy that I used to talk to before when I was at Spike. And the other thing too is that like venues, getting a venue, it's a lot easier to get it in the middle of December than it is any other month of the year. Because again, like a lot of tours aren't happening then. People are like, you know, even if, if you're in a band, you're not on tour. You're back at home waiting for January to come to get back out on the road. So a lot of it is just logistics, honestly, getting the venue at a cheaper price at a rate where you feel like you can turn a profit, getting the guests to show up. And even like us, you know, for a lot of us, it's like we're just grinding along all year. And then in December, we finally get a little bit of a reprieve. I almost made it to the Game Awards this year, but I had to go to a doctor's office and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't because of whatever. I actually got a ticket this year. I just couldn't make it. Um, but generally industry folks can make it too, which means if you want Hideo Kojima to come over from Japan, he can show up because he's not in the middle of production. They're off for the holidays. So there's a lot that feeds into it. And again, I think 
I guess what I want you to take away from this discussion in general is that even with the game awards, the game awards themselves are not the most important thing. Right. It's about creating an interesting show that people want to watch and all everything is fed into that. Um, it's it's not Chick fed Man. into like, are they going to, are the gamers going to be happy when these awards are over? That's not really what they're doing. They're like, can we get enough people here so that people want to show up and watch it? Once they've watched it, you don't care so much about how much they liked it or they didn't like it because you know, in a year's time, they're going to completely forget about all the little things that they were complaining about. And they're going to show up at the very least for the reveals. So he's smart. Like Jeff is a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He's worked in the industry a long time. He knows what you guys are thinking. Um, he's not ignorant to it. And he's, he knew before this show started that people were going to complain the next day that there wasn't enough focus on awards. There wasn't enough focus on the games or whatever. He is creating the show to make sure he can keep creating the show, not to make sure that he makes all of us happy. Do you think, um, because you're talking about like that time window, do you think if he even adjusted it to something like the beginning of January, when there is kind of that, there's still a gap there in regards to like, cause network you television like the shows first week of January. Maybe? Yeah. The first couple of weeks of January. Cause usually network shows don't come out until mid January. And that's because there's that long break in production. Do you think he could hit that window instead of doing it early December to be able to like get all that whole year? I don't know about you, but like the first couple weeks of the year, I'm in this different mode. I am, okay, the new year is here. And I had all these ideas last year that I was like, I'm going to implement next year. And now I got to kind of get going on those things. Like you starting up at work is awkward. People are slowly trickling in. Some people stay on vacation longer. You don't have your entire workforce there. Sometimes you're trying to get stuff done, but you don't have the people to do it. That's not the time where I'm thinking about an award show. Honestly, and I don't think most people are either. Everyone's like just got back from Christmas. It was like a two week, two weeks away from work. They'd, it's just, I understand what you're trying to say. Man, I get it. Like, it, would the awards be better if the award show was in January? Yes, absolutely. But it's a cost benefit analysis. And Jeff is just like, no one's going to show up to watch it the first week of January. I'm not going to get any talent, any celebrities to show up for it in the first week of January. The venues are going back full bore in January. I'm going to pay more for the venues then. All of it ties together into what you have now. So if your next question is, do I think they will ever move it to January? My answer to that is no, I do not. <laughs> Sebastian, are you there still there? I saw your message. You can absolutely ask a question without a camera. It's totally fine. Are you there? Well, it doesn't sound like it. I think his question was in the comment. Which yeah. is how are you how are you passing by the time with your uh, post surgery with your with your knee and not being able to do as much? Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I'm sorry, Kane. I'm sorry. I'm here. Yeah, okay. that was my question. I wanted to know how you're doing and if you're taking care of yourself. If you're not overworking. Thank you for asking. Um, Saturdays suck for me. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Like I work six days a week, every week. I have off. I work Sunday too, but I work for like the first two or three hours, and then I have the rest of the day off. Generally. Um, because I curate on Saturdays and Sundays. So Vincent has some time off because it's a grind. It's not like when you first start doing it, it's kind of fun and cool. But after you do it for a while, it's a grind. Um, and so I want to make sure that he has some time away, which means that I end up working weekends. So Saturdays are brutal for me. I have the holidays coming up. I have to produce, I think it's seven or eight episodes of Pactor Factor in the next like three days. I have to like edit them and cut them together because I'm going to be gone starting around like the 20th and I need content to go up while I'm gone. So I have to edit the episodes, 
They all have to be uploaded. They all have to be turned into the podcast versions of the show. Um, and then I have to create the YouTube version. So I have to do double the work for every one of them because every day an episode of Pactor Factor goes up on our Patreon or on Sifted.net. There's also an episode from the week before going up on our YouTube channel. So um, I'm not relaxing that much. I will say this, the first two or three days, like the whole last weekend, like I just laid on the couch with my leg propped up with my knee encased in ice. And then once Monday got here, I'm like, I got to work. And so I just started kind of awkwardly fumbling around with crutches and stuff, um, coming back here to this, to this room to work. Um, so I haven't taken it that easy, but I will say this. Yesterday, I woke up and my knee felt a lot better. It was like that morning where you kind of get over the hump, where like every little movement didn't hurt anymore. And then I woke up today and it felt even better. And I am now to the point where I can bend my knee a good bit. Um, like I had my appointment on Thursday, my a post-op appointment with my knee doctor. And he's like, you're doing great. He's like, your swelling is lower than I thought. And he's like, everything seems stable. So the surgery went well. I'm finally kind of getting over the hump with recovery. But I will say this too. Like I've, I've accepted now that I'm going to be gimpy over the entire holidays. Like I'm just going to have a limp. That's just all there is to it. I'm very paranoid about being around people right now. I'm afraid someone will bump into my knee dogs running around me right now completely off limits because they'll just run right into your knees and so i'm afraid of that and i don't want to like doing all the walking in the airports i don't know how that's going to play out so i'm a little nervous about some stuff but for the most part i'm just glad i finally got it done i haven't been able to exercise in like two and a half three years um and i've obviously put on a bunch of weight because of that and so i'm very excited to get through my physical training my pt get my knee back where it is and be able to get uh, back into exercising again i'm shopping for a bike right now shopping for maybe a surfboard right now. I think I may finally start to learn how to surf. Um, so I just did that. Uh, uh, my mom came to visit me in September. So I surfed for the first time. That was a lot of fun. So hard. Uh, hey, we'll, we'll shoot it. We can shoot something. I'll go with you. <laughs> I mean, we were going to do yeah. a, a tennis match for a beat chain right. on That's HQ right. and it never happened. <laughs> That's so. right. I forgot about that. It never did happen. Um, so anyway, like it sucks right now in the short term. In the long term, it's going to be really good for me. So whatever pain in the butt I'm going through right now, like it'll be all worth it in the end. I just keep telling myself that um, when I can exercise again and play sports again, I haven't played hockey in like two and a half years. I really miss that. Um, so there's all these parts of my life that I've kind of put on hold because I couldn't really participate in them. I'm excited to get back to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall the surgery went well. It definitely was more than I expected. Like I literally thought like I'd, I'd be down for like a day or two and I'd be up and walking around like almost immediately. And that was by searching stuff on the internet. But when I got there for my surgery, he's like, we're going to do this extra stuff on your ACL that we hadn't planned on doing. And I think that is what has kind of set me back more than I thought. Um, and my knee is still really swollen. It's probably, it's not twice the size of my other knee anymore, but it's like gigantic. I mean, it still has three incisions. There's two holes in the bottom where the scopes went in. And then there's a big hole on the top left of the knee where they went in to fix the ACL. So I've like, three spots with stitches right now. And I have to go back like this coming week to get the stitches out and blah, blah, blah. So there's a long road to go, uh, but all in all it went well. Like I'm not in that much pain. I didn't really have to take hardly any pain medication. I have a pretty high tolerance for pain anyway. And he was surprised. He's like, you didn't take any of them. And I was like, no, like they gave me Percocets and I'm like, I'm not taking opioids. Like, Nope. I took an leave, like, so I could sleep at night and it was enough. It was fine. So, um, all things considered, it went well. I'm, doing okay. Like I'll, I'll probably be a little gimpy as I, you know, go around the holidays. But other than that, 
I'm, I'm fine. And I'm just happy that I finally got it done. Uh, Jesper, best Jeffy, man. Good to see you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you're going you're gonna to bring it home here on the last episode of Ashley and Anything for 2021. What's your question? <laughs> yeah. No so, pressure. <laughs> question is uh, usually uh, one I would li- like to ask on uh, Game Face, but since I live in Sweden, we're nine hours ahead. The so timing's rough. Yeah. Here, so. Uh, so my question is, uh, let's say you have to recommend uh, one of two games. Uh, the first game being a AAA game cost 60 bucks. It's a, you're like, your mind got blown. It was a life altering experience for you. 60 or 70? But 60 for a 60 or 70, whatever. Okay, full price. that's irrelevant. All right. But uh, the, the catch is that it only takes about two hours to get through. Okay. And the other choice is a kind of a double A game, kind of a jury uh, Eurojank game. Eurojank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, open world, kind of, you know, it's all decent, all right, but it's nothing fancy to get to, but it's like 30, takes a 30 to 40 hours to get through. Which so insert Ubisoft game here, basically. Well, no, yeah, Ubisoft's not so Eurojank. <laughs> Eurojank is like spiders and stuff like that. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That sort of game. That's a great question. Um, and I would say that how I would answer that would depend on the person. So if you're someone who's wealthy or just doesn't really have to worry about money, you know, has more than enough money than they need to pay their bills and pay their rent every month and enough to go out and enjoy a good meal or two every week and be able to take his wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever out on a date once a week or whatever, then I would say get the two hour mind blower. If there's someone who's on a budget who thinks very seriously about every purchase they make, not just video games, if they're the type of person, like when you go out with them to a bar or a club at a certain point in the night, they're like, I'm good. And they're like, and you're like, why? We just got here. And they're like, well, because I've already spent 50 bucks or whatever. That's the person I would recommend the the lower tiered longer game to. Um, And the other thing I would say, too, is that most people aren't like us. So I think maybe another caveat in your question should have been, and the people are like us. Because one thing I've discovered is recommending games to people who aren't like us, who like games, but you know don't visit Sifted every day and aren't on Twitter and aren't watching the Game Awards and stuff like that, their, their tastes are not as discerning. So I could recommend something like A Plague Tale to someone like that, and they could play it. And they might come back, come back to me and be like, that's the best game I played in like six years or whatever. People like us, I recommend that game to them. They come back to me and they're like, Shane, I think you might be falling off a little bit. So it really comes down to the people. One, how much money do they have? Two, another thing I would consider is probably how much time do they have? If it's someone who has like three kids and a wife and his job is really demanding, I would probably recommend the two hour game because they're going to feel like they accomplished something and they're going to be able to come back to me and be like, I finished it. What did you think about it? Um, instead of being this like, well, I only made it like four hours in and I can't really remember where I am in the game anymore. And you start trying to guess, what well, did you beat this boss or did you fight this guy and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's really about the people, um, what they need in their life, what they have in their life already and how a video game is going to fit into it. But I do think generally, financially, I would say the rich guy, get the two hour mind blower. The guy who's maybe a little more sensitive about his finances. I'd recommend the 30 to 40 hour game. that's not sparkling at every, at every moment. So any follow-up or is that good? Uh, So you would just 
you would uh, value the point of them playing a game at all, sort of. Of course. Yeah, I yeah. always do. Instead of, uh, because if you amend the questions, like the mind-blowing game is a mind-blower for everyone. We yeah. can make this weird yeah. assumption. You would still make the same recommendation, even though the poor guy would also have his mind blown. You would yeah. still make the same. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think things are different now, too, because I hate to say it because of YouTube. So another, a lot of mm. times, like if there's a really good game that's really short, like a lot of my casual friends that aren't really doing well financially, I'll tell them to watch it on YouTube. Why not? Mm. <laughs> like, mm. I'm like, save the money, man. It's only four hours long. And, you know, you can sit down in a couple nights and watch it, watch some Let's Play guy or whatever, play it. Um, and you can even mm -hmm. find it without commentary if you don't want to listen to some dude babble on for five hours or whatever. Um, and so I think that has changed how I evaluate stuff like that a little bit. And to be honest with you, most of my friends are in that group. Now, not all of them are poor or whatever. Some of them are doing very well. Some of them are struggling a little bit. But most of my friends are casual players. They're not people like us. Um, and so I do find myself recommending to them a lot more often the games that are the better value because they don't buy games that often, you know, they'll buy five games a year, maybe like I'll recommend that they pick up the last of us part two and they'll buy it like a month and a half after it came out. And then I'll talk to them like two months after that. And they're like halfway through the game or whatever. It's just a whole different way of looking at video games. And I'm glad that I have those people in my life because it, it sets the barometer for me so that I can evaluate things for everyone instead of just people like us. So not that granted people who aren't like us probably aren't watching a lot of my content because it is very, very core. Cool. So um, they watch my stuff because they're my friend um, and they listen to it. They all listen to the podcast. They don't watch it. But, um, but yeah, I think that's even with my friends, like I see it a lot, like they're more interested in getting a lot of playtime out of stuff instead of just having that burst of like, things that just blow them away. Um, and the good news is in some cases you can get both like naughty dogs games. They're pretty long and they're amazing. So I tend to steer my friends toward naughty dog games all the time. And they've never come back and said that I screwed them over. So I think that's, that sort of works. Like I can't recommend Nintendo to all my friends. They don't think that like people who play Nintendo games are kids or immature or whatever. They're just not interested in them. Um, they don't care about how good it plays. They care more about like the story and the action and the gore. Uh, their perspective is different. Um, and again, knowing people like that and talking to people like that only makes me better at evaluating games for a wider audience. Kind of a follow-up question to your evaluation type thing. Um, actually brings up an interesting conversation of, because uh, Halo Infinite just came out. And so I've been playing that for a bit. Mm -hmm. And it's been getting higher scores than I think I would have expected. And a lot of the time it's due to the fact that they've made it an open world game. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Kind of. And yeah. so um, it's interesting of like how much as a reviewer, would you like when you evaluate a game, obviously you want to, you're, you, you hold it to its competitor, obviously mm -hmm. as part of the part of the evaluation. But then when you look at something like breath of the wild that came out and then also mm -hmm. now halo infinite that came out where the open world elements are pretty simple yeah. and you could get that out of any other open world game. The only difference is it's Halo and Zelda. And all of a sudden that gives it the, the marquee to say, oh, we, we need to give this. I think you just scores. answered your own question. How, what do you think about that? They're, they're creating an exception for franchises that they really love is what they're doing. They're like, oh, well, I expect this out of Zelda. And all of a sudden I get this and wow. And they don't take into consideration that 
yeah, like other games have had that for like 11 years. I think another problem too is that you have some, and I'm not going to single anybody out, but you have journalists who are overscoring Halo 4 and Halo 5. Like the review scores for that game were insane. For both those games were insane. Like those games were not great games, but most critics reviewed them as if they were. Now you have a game that in my opinion is great, Halo Infinite, you have to give it the 9, the 9.5, because you gave Halo 4 and 5 like an 8.5 or a 9. And this is why it's so important. Like, that's why when I do editorial at any publication, it's we and not I. Because you have to look at the, at the family of work, the group of work that you're doing. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, you're going to be contradicting yourself or you're going to be pigeonholing yourself into what just happened with Halo Infinite. Where you're like, but this is definitely better than Halo 4 and Halo 5. and Look, if you're the person reviewing Halo Infinite and you go to your boss at IGN and you give it the 9.3 or whatever, and the, the editor is like, whoa, 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 9.3 for Halo Infinite, and he brings you in his office to talk to him, you win that argument every time because you're like, okay, is Halo Infinite better than Halo 4 or Halo 5? And the guy's going to be like, oh, yeah, it's way better. Well, we gave Halo 5 an 8.7. So how do I tell our users that Halo Infinite is way better? It's it's the lack of a long-term vision for editorial. It just is. And sometimes you get put in those positions. That's why at game trailers, it was we. Like I talked to everyone about any of their reviews. They came in, we talked about it. I tried to make sure at least one other person played at least a little bit of each game to make sure that if there was something glaring that was missed in the review that they could bring it up. I'd bring them into the room to talk to the assigned editor about it. That's how you run editorial. And I think what you're seeing with, with examples like this, and it did happen a little bit with Breath of the Wild as well, is that you're just seeing editorial departments that just aren't run very well. That's really what it comes down to. So, Shane, well, do you, can, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I just was going to say, Shane, you should, during this discussion, I was thinking you should make a show called On Second Thought <laughs> where you guys reevaluate games within five to 10 years oh. to say, oh, well, at the time we thought this game deserved this. Now we think on second thought it deserves this. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. You should do it. on your Start a YouTube channel and do it, man. We'll curate it to sift it. I'm not kidding. We kind of do a little bit of that with Game Pass or Fail. Because Game Pass or Fail really is kind of like yeah. a short video review. And a lot of times the games are old. Mm. I mean, we're kind of examining through the lens of 2021, this game that released in 2010. In fact, yeah. today's episode that's going to go up as soon as this is done is Final Fantasy 13. And it came out like 11 years ago and things have changed a ton since then. And so that's kind of the angle that that episode takes. We're doing gotcha. a little bit of that, but you're right. Like being more overt about it probably would do pretty well for sure. Um, the problem is you have to go back and play some of these old games. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it can be torture, man. Like, you go back and you get like two hours into it. And you're like, I don't want to play this anymore. Like yeah. a, a lot of people have done that with Halo since the Master Chief collection came out. They're playing the first one, Combat Evolved. And they're like, how did this spur a revolution? <laughs> like we we're talking about it. We were talking about Infinite. Matt was like, I can't play Combat Evolved anymore. It's mm -hmm. because it's just so Spartan. <laughs> yeah, it just I has the very the basics. It doesn't have any frills. So. Yeah, I was going to say kind of uh, uh, what kind of sparked the thought of this question was originally was when because Breath of the Wild and Horizon Zero Dawn came out at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yet somehow I didn't ever understood the justification from the reviewers to say that Horizon was not the better game 
due to the horizon having deeper systems, more complex oh, creature design. It's by far the better game, but how in the world is it getting gypped on the scores? And I then mean, look, Mitch, I've been beating this drum. <laughs> I know <laughs> for like six years about breath of the wild. I have said oh, that I... game is overrated. Overrated. From day one. Mm-hmm. It is overrated. Period. It is. 100%. I don't care what anyone says. It's overrated. And now what happens? So, Breath of the Wild 2 comes out, or whatever the hell it ends up being called. Was surprised that wasn't at the Game of the Word Game Awards, by the way. That sent up a little bit of a red flag to me. You're not? No, I think it would have come out I, this year. I think no, I think it's coming out this year. I think uh, Nintendo is so close to the chest with their directs that they would want a full direct for it. Because the next time I think they're going to show it, it's going to be gameplay, and so yeah, they want Mitch, to be able to it, show it. I mean, the audience for the Game Awards is literally like 10 million people. But when does Nintendo ever show their games at the Game Awards? Their directs, if they're lucky, do a million views. If they're less, like the best direct ever did a million views. I get you, but history hasn't shown Nintendo cares about the Game Awards because look at what they show but at they the Game Awards. But they showed Breath of the Wild twice on the Game Awards. They debuted it on the Game Awards. Remember there was that tra- trailer of Miyamoto and Anuma sitting in front of a TV and the footage was running on the TV that they're sitting on. They're right, sitting in but, front that of. Was, but that was five years ago. And, Since then they then they de- they- and then they debuted the trailer for Breath of the Wild 2. No, they didn't. They didn't debut the Breath of the Wild two trailer. I thought they de- debuted. No, Bondo. that was that was E three. Oh, uh, you're both both were E three. Oh, right, right. So, so but... they they've never ever since that time they did it the first time with Breath of the Wild. I've I haven't seen. I don't. I can never recall a big Nintendo game ever being revealed or shown off at the Game Awards. Yeah. Um. Well, regardless, Breath of the Wild is overrated. <laughs> I don't know how. What are they going to do with Breath of the Wild two now? These editors are going to be in this weird position. Like, but we already gave a 10 to the first one. How do we, what do we give it an 11? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Especially if you improve the mechanics of the first one. Right. How can you not give it a better score? Right. It's a lack of foresight on the part of editorial departments is really what it is. Um, and it's hard. It's not easy. Um, look, I'm not saying that this is like an easy thing that they're all screwing up. Um, but you have to have a concerted effort for it. You have to have a plan in place. And you have to run your team with an iron fist, not like being a jerk iron fist, but saying these are the ideals by which we evaluate things. And everyone is going to have to adhere to this because otherwise it flies off the rails. And that's what happened with a couple of different publications. Well, it also happens when you handcuff yourself with a seven to 10 scale instead right. of an, a real, a real use legit the whole 10. use yep. a zero to 10 scale. That's another good point. Yep. But All right. I got to call it there. Sense. I know people probably have more questions, okay. but we're at an hour and 20 minutes and I have to edit this thing together. So. I'm going to have a busy day today. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't get you another question, Jesper. I know you have a follow-up. Uh, we just, uh, I was gonna, just going to make a play in for that. Is that it, qu- it creates a conundrum. Uh, if every entry is better than the before, and let's say the previous entry got 8.8, the next entry gets 9, and then it get, uh, if you're always going to have this sort of integrity where you can't score a, the better game lower than previous game, then at some point you're always going to end up with a franchise ending up at 10. Well, so you have to, if, well, that's assuming that every game gets better, right? Yeah, but you, which is not always the case. You can look at Zelda and mm. you can see different games in the Zelda franchise where it didn't go up on this steady upward hill climb. There was a couple of entries where it dropped down and then it came back up and then it would drop back down and it came back up. Like I didn't like Majora's Mask. I thought Ocarina of Time was the greatest video game ever released when it came out. They followed up with Majora's Mask. I didn't like it at all. I played it for like three hours. I still have never gone back to it. Um, you can look at the Wii game when they forced people to use motion controls to play Zelda and people hated it. Like Skyward Sword, a lot of people don't like it. So it's you, you, what you're saying is you're assuming that every game gets better. That's not typically how it works. Um, 
And if they had just evaluated the first Breath of the Wild fairly against other open world games, they wouldn't be in this position. The, the problem is they screwed the pooch with Breath of the Wild. Um, they're like, oh, my God, it's Zelda, but it doesn't feel like it's 30 years old. It's a 10. Like, instead of saying, like, hey, what did Assassin's Creed do this year? And what did Assassin's Creed do better than Breath of the Wild? What did Breath of the Wild do better than Assassin's Creed? And let's be honest, not much that year. So I just feel like they just did not look at the entire breadth of the games that were coming out then, the games that were going to come out later and act appropriately. And now they're kind of pigeonholed into this place where you know now that Breath of the Wild 2, barring disaster, is going to get perfect tens. You just know. So Well, it's even more true because those games, uh, uh, Horizon and Breath of the Wild came out two weeks apart. Right. So like you, it, it, there's no there's no other like excuse fair, you could give. Horizon also did very well. Like it's Metacritic oh, yeah. no, is no, like 93. Yeah, yeah. So it no, wasn't like not... it was slagged or anything. But you're right. Like Zelda was game of the year. <laughs> I mean, I gave it to Horizon. Some people did, but a lot of people gave it to Breath of the Wild. And you're right. It was just because it was an open world Zelda game. <laughs> Thanks all you guys for showing up today. I had a great time talking games with you guys like I always do. Um, I've had a great time doing this show all year. Like I've enjoyed more or doing this show more than the episodes where we had you guys sending questions and I just sit by myself in a room with a camera and answer them. Um, and we're starting to get better participation in this here towards the end of the year after I begged you guys to show up. So I'm hoping we could keep doing it this way into 2022 and you guys keep coming back for Ashley and anything. Again, if you want to participate in this show, which is really a podcast, let's be honest, um, you need to pledge to $7 or more per month at patreon.com slash sifted. Everyone gets to watch the archive. We want you guys to see the great conversations that we're having. Um, and I just want to say thank you guys and happy holidays to everybody who is on the show. You guys are all awesome. And I love you guys to death. And thanks to all you guys, too, on our Patreon uh, who have supported us throughout the entire year. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys uh, letting me do what I love for a living. So everyone, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, I don't give a crap. I just hope that you have an awesome end of the year and we'll see you guys in 2022.